Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our seventh episode of 2022. But before I kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money, our gold sponsor, Jonard Tools, Millennium, and MyBundle.TV and our silver sponsor, STL. You know, the FCC has been very busy. On Monday, they authorized funding support for 2,576 winning bids from ARDA. A number of these were rural electric co-ops and rural ILOCs, and there were a lot of Taki Communications Awards. Windstream also had a large number of Pennsylvania awards authorized. You know, the FCC also adopted their MTE rules for tenants in apartments and office buildings that provides more transparency, competition, and choice for broadband services. This is a very nice win for the Fiber Broadband Association and our members. So good job to our uh, public policy committee. Great way to go, guys. Today on the Hill, the House Communications Subcommittee will hold a hearing at noon Eastern on Connecting America oversight of NTIA. This will provide a great opportunity to hear from Alan Davidson, the new NTIA administrator, on his broadband infrastructure plans. The Fiber Broadband Association has been meeting with congressional offices all week on both sides of the aisle leading up to this hearing. You know, we continue to make good progress in developing our broadband infrastructure playbook, and we should be on track to release it by the end of the month. You know, NTI has invited me to speak at a panel at the State Broadband Office Summit in DC on March 2nd, so I definitely want to have this playbook in hand when I get up there. Lastly, the Fiber Broadband Association issued a press release this morning announcing that we are launching a series of regional Fiber Connect workshops, beginning with Baton Rouge on March 23rd. That's Baton Rouge, March 23rd. These will be one-day workshops to help communities prepare for fiber broadband infrastructure builds. So we hope to see you there. Speaking of building, That brings us up to the topic for this morning's Fiber for Breakfast session. Today, we're gonna be discussing construction digitalization, the digital transformation of the metaverse era. You know, last week we had a wonderful session with our good friend, Dr. Chris Alley of the University of Virginia and author of Farm Fresh Broadband. Um, You know, we discussed the politics of rural broadband and I really love the way Chris explained that broadband is about people. And then when you take people out of the equation, it becomes about politics. So I hope you all will join me in keeping broadband about people. Today, we're gonna move our discussion to deployment challenges as we're ending the largest construction effort of broadband infrastructure in history. We're facing significant challenges. The inefficiencies of construction can result in deployment delays and higher costs. So in this Fiber for Breakfast session, Cebu, Mayapin of EC Site and Sean Adam of AFL are going to discuss how construction digitalization can aid in addressing 
many of the challenges and inefficiencies of deployment of broadband networks. Sabu Mayapin has over 25 years of entrepreneurial and technology development experience in telecom. He's a serial entrepreneur. Um, he founded NetVad and is the inventor and an author. He's the CEO of EC Site and responsible for leading the company's vision to automate everything everywhere, helping transform the telecom industry into the all digital era. Sabu has over 35 issued patents in the US and international. Sean Adam is the Vice President of Market Strategy and Innovation at AFL. Sean has over 25 years of experience in the telecom, uh, semiconductor and telecom industry with a focus on systems-based solutions and architecture. Sean holds over 15 patents across software and hardware systems and products. So wow, these guys hold a lot of patents, you know, 50 between the two of them. So welcome Sabu and Sean. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go. And so with that, I'd like to turn it over um, to Sean and Sabu. Thank you, Gary. We, uh, we, we both greatly appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to speak today. So, you know, as you mentioned, we are, uh, we're, we're about to step into a, uh, an unprecedented level of, uh, of network deployment, right? You can really look at the next five years as, uh, as really a, a super cycle. Uh, and, it, and really will be one that will be driving fiber significantly out in, into the network, right? There's, there's estimates that more fiber is going to be deployed over the next five years than has been deployed in the past in North America. So that's something key for us to, to always keep in mind. And one of the other things that's very much happening is, the, is really the convergence of the access network, right? And that's where wireless and wireline are coming together, whether that's wireless mobility or fixed wireless access. It's coming together with that wireline infrastructure um, and, and also bringing together the services that are running on it, right? Both business and, and residential. And so uh, that, that means the deployments can't be siloed anymore. Uh, it also, by the way, means if you want to hit the performance that, that we want to deliver to our end customers, you need that strong fiber infrastructure. And so what you come down to is really that automation and data coordination are, are absolutely essential if you want to build it right the first time. Right, and we really actually have to build it right the first time, because uh, there's a lot of money that goes into into the construction phase, much more than the material, and we'll touch on that. And so, really, as we think about it, every business has to embrace kind of the digital transformation to let them scale. Right, and that's really a way to think about it. Right, that the things that we've done today um, are, are going to be challenged to let us scale and keep up with this with this uh, with this this super cycle. So let's let's kind of talk about really kind of the where we are today, right? So there's kind of a cost of the legacy within the construction uh, in the in the construction space. It's estimated that over 500 billion dollars is spent annually around the globe just due to rework, right? It's due to poor data and communication, and it's also estimated that that there's an 80% budgetary overrun on all large outside plant construction bills. So if we think about the amount of money that is out there, right? $65 billion from the, uh, from, from the infrastructure bill alone. Um, and think about if there's an overrun of 80% on that, that's kind of a very large number, it almost doubles it. The other thing is the fact of what we see is that there's about a 20 month average delay in the construction project completion. So close to two years longer, right? In, in what it takes to deploy these. So why is this happening? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. Certainly one, the handoff of data is today is manual and inefficient. There's 
no real time visibility into project execution. So it's very, very hard to fix what you what you can't see. Um, it's difficult to audit the results, the daily results, the, the project results overall. And you actually end up with a lack of, of data integrity, right? Can you actually trust the data that's coming back from the field, from the systems of where you are in the project? And in the end, you actually have to like try to you know, do a correlation at, at the post commissioning. And that's extremely inefficient because of all the other pieces we just talked about, right? So all of this ends up leading to not only delays, increase in costs, but also increase in, in quality problems. So again, if we look at it, you know, the, the infrastructure bill that just passed is, is putting $65 billion of federal stimulus. And that's actually just part of it. There's, 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 there's actually uh, more broadband investment that's happened throughout the various COVID acts over the last year or so. Um, but if you look at that, the real spend will actually be two to three X that, right? Either through uh, additional funding that comes from states, but also self-funding that comes from companies, right? It's it's not usually the fact that a, a dollar a dollar from the government is all that gets spent. There's, there's usually a multiplier that, that's on that. And an interesting thing to think about is less than 5% of that is probably going to be fiber, right? Which is also something for us to keep in mind as we think about networks for the future. Um, it's, uh, it's it, thinking about actually putting in a dense enough fiber network um, is, is really the way to think because it's not where your cost is because your cost actually is in the construction. And you want to actually do that construction right the first time and you want to do it now or or you may actually have to be going back later and redoing it. And that construction cost could be anywhere between 30 to 60 percent of the overall cost being in construction. Right. So there's a there's a lot of money on the table. Uh, and there is a uh, and, and it all found, really sits on the fact of how can we make construction more efficient, more accurate, uh, and that really ends up driving to be saving money. So I'm really, really fortunate to be kind of doing this talk with uh, with really uh, an innovative entrepreneur in this space who's kind of living and breathing this every day. Uh, and so, Sabu, if you could kind of walk us through some of the some of the kind of the real life challenges that that uh, that you've seen. Uh, kind of in these spaces, that would be great. Yeah, so thank you, thank you, Sean, uh, and thank you, Gary and Sean, for this opportunity uh, to, to present uh, to the audience here. And uh, like Sean said, you know, we're we're in the particularly in the metaverse era, right? If you watch the football game this uh, weekend, uh, the amount of data that flew through the flew through that network, uh, and the amount of fiber that is there in that stadium is. Uh, is somewhere like about uh, in, in the in the radio stadium is about 3,000. In the SoFi stadium is probably about close to about 4,000 miles of fiber that's uh, going around in the stadium, serving every antenna and, and radios that are there, uh, because people can uh, you know wanted to have that level of experience inside uh, the stadium. And if you if you guys saw some of the ads, uh, they were able to deliver uh, eight uh, 4K streams from eight different corners of the stadium into a phone. You know, people people were able to watch that for every play and whatnot. So that level of connectivity is where it's going, and and people are starting to watch it in their Oculus so that they have the full immersive experience. So the metaverse is is real and it's very relevant uh, on, and we cannot do this just with wireless networks or you know or or copper. So fiber plays a very very vital role as we scale both for all the experiences that you have with uh, buildings and venues and connected cities and smart cities and rural broadband. So having ubiquitous connectivity, fiber becomes a backbone. So one such, uh, and and you know, and like uh, Sean correctly said, construction is uh, a challenge. Right? People, uh, whether they recognize it or not, 
they're slowed down by either lack of available talent to do the work uh, so because some of the uh, work gets uh, technical as well at some point and then you also are, are uh, challenged by uh, you know not having clear uh, requirements and specifications and you end up doing it uh, incorrectly and then you have to go back and redo it um, and and we, we live, live through that every day uh, there's you know uh, there's a lot of contingencies built into budgeting uh, and and time is wasted and if you don't do it correctly if you're a contractor you don't get paid so so all of those challenges continue to haunt us as we evolve and how do you do this at metaverse scale uh, and, and that's where automation is uh, is uh, is a key player in this so we were involved in uh, the uh, Allegiant stadium the sofi stadium where you know the, the scale is pretty large right this and they have to do it in a very short time uh, a similar concept applies to hyperscalers as well so over 20000 single mode fibers uh, 3000 miles of uh, of fiber cable uh, you know around everywhere and uh, there were four splicing and testing crews they were using different splicing gear uh, different testing gear some some were using flukes and exports and enritsus so all of that had to be put together and make sure that they're doing it correctly and verifying according to what the, the carrier standards are, right? So that's a, the, and how, how do you keep track of that? And, uh, you know, we fortunately were involved in some of this where you, you do an automation in a way uh, that when they do the testing, everything is correct and the closeout packages are automatically generated and validated for them. So they never had to go back again to verify any of these things, right? And uh, so so uh, how, we, how that project went along is that you can see on the right side, uh, we have the, the radios and the head end, and then uh, we get a fiber plan. And uh, from that fiber plan, we have to derive a workflow uh, for all the field activities, whether it's splicing or uh, or testing, uh, you know, tier one, tier two testing. And, uh, you know, and we, uh, the, we use an automated solution through a mobile app that does a lot of the work in the field, collects this data, pushes it to the cloud, and generates real-time uh, you know, feedback to you so the, the, and you'll see some of the examples that we talk about uh, is that you know uh, everything that gets spliced gets documented, everything gets tested that gets documented, and it also sort of does uh, you know infield training to make sure that you're doing all the right things. So you get real-time visibility on exactly what's going on. Not after all the 20,000 tests are done, you're getting the closeout package every day. Every crew uh, automatically syncs to the cloud, and you're able to see those closeout packages and uh, you know uh, be comfortable that the project is uh, progressing and uh, got some really good feedback from the Mortensen team that was involved in the project. Here's another case study uh, that uh, we were involved in on the uh, outside plant. There's a major uh, US electric uh, uh, utility, and they needed to perform upgrades on the um, uh, OSP uh, uh, fiber network, and they did not have uh, good documentation on where the splice locations were, where the span started. So all, all of this is ADSS fiber. And some of these are pretty old, right? And the you know pre-technology era, if you will, uh, they were deployed. Um, so so a lot of that was uh, was missing, and uh, they also needed to, to document as they go along. And again, you know, in this day and age, you need to be able to document all of this, collect data, and and you can see that the people are climbing poles and uh, you know rolling out uh, trucks and and doing this work. You don't want to get this done incorrectly. Uh, because you, you'll have to go back again and do it and there's only some windows where you can uh, you know fix some of these things so you want to do it right the first time and that's where another opportunity that we got involved in uh, again using full end-to-end -end automation yeah 
so so what we did here was that you know there was uh, information like even on, on google earth or kml uh, files that roughly said where uh, the some of the locations are uh, and uh, the the route was driven they identified splice locations and the, the splice locations were gps tagged and that helps you build the concept of a master trace for eventual testing so that when you have uh, an otdr you can correlate that with uh, the splice data per se uh, so, so all of these instruments need to talk to each other. So as they went and collected the data and, you know, a lot of pictures needed to be documented, uh, safety forms need to be documented, traffic reports need to be documented. So all of that were all collected using a mobile app in the field. And the app would also talk to the splices, to the OTDRs, pull all these results, validate that they're doing all the right things in the field before they leave the job for the day and upload it all to the cloud. And you'll be able to see some real-time dashboards on exactly what was done for the day, who's doing it, uh, whether things are passing. Uh, if they had failures, it will also show that they had repeated failures and then they passed. So you'll be able to do a real-time visibility. And this is the only way to manage uh, from a project management, construction management perspective, to be able to manage all of this in, in real time uh, from remote locations. Right? And also COVID also had a major impact on people not being able to travel to the field. So having remote visibility into uh, all of this instantaneously was uh, definitely making the job more efficient, right? So this is really, really early stages uh, and uh, you know foray into construction digitization for our industry. Um, but as we uh, go along, I see more and more automation tools coming into the field. Uh, there's uh, people who want to do workflow automations. People are embracing digital transformation. So if you are in the early stages of that, you know, look at, you know, deeply into this to uh, improve efficiencies. Yeah. So. If you, if, if you um, in construction digitization in general has uh, you know, proven, right, it's definitely more, more than that in terms of uh, productivity, uh, but at least 15% increase in productivity, right? So that you don't have to go back and it definitely reduces construction costs, uh, has definitely reduced go backs for all of our customers who are using automated solutions. So that's important. Uh, it offsets the lack of skilled workforce uh, and and there's a lot of AI being built in at the edge using uh, all these mobile apps. So there's a lot of um, training and error checking uh, that could be done automatically in the field if things go wrong. And that's uh, another big winner as we as we go through construction digitization. Right? You, you will get real-time project uh, performance in the sense if you uh, typically today, you call somebody to find out, hey, you know, how much of it have you done? Uh, whereas here, there'll be real-time data coming from the machines going into the cloud that, that you'll be able to see. So that's uh, super important from a project tracking perspective and making sure uh, you know where your money is flowing and when you're going to receive the money when this project finishes, right? So typically what you, what you end up doing is that you sit there after the project is done, somebody sits there and prepares all these closeout packages and, you know, and in this day and age, that uh, a lot of that could be completely automated so that you don't have to sit there and generate any closeout packages. Everything will be automated and any specific uh, closeout packages could be completely generated from the cloud, right? And, and this also helps you over time to say, you know, how do I bid for these projects? How much contingencies do I really want to have? Uh, you know, make your bids efficient, gets you paid faster, and, you know, keeps, keeps everybody happy. So that's, that's all I have to say about construction digitization. There's a lot of activity going on, so please pay attention to, you know, what the automation space um, and how AI is driving uh, construction digitization for us to la launch ourselves into the metaverse era. So th that is all I have. We're open for questions. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sabu and, and Sean. So 
tell I mean, I can see how this could really be very helpful. I mean, I just last summer um, we had a pool put in and it was shocking. Uh, you know, one set of contractors, subcontractors came and dug a hole, then the next come and put in the steel, and then the next come and have to put in the gunite, and the next have to come do the tile, and the next have to do the, the um, plaster. And there's no communications between any of these. So, you know, if I look about putting fiber in, I see one set of contractors come in and run the fiber down my street, another come in and take it from the pedals to, to my house, then another come in and put into my um, residential gateway. I mean, so there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen, but the experience I had both in the pool and watching fiber go down my street is no one seems to know what the other hand's doing, right? It's, there's, and then also you mentioned about just knowing where things are, assets are, and um, splice and closures. Right. What, right. yeah. I mean, what is the, the focus? Where, where should people start? What, what is the lowest hanging fruit on this? Actually, Gary, but before you also talk about where fiber goes, you start from the trenching, right? When, when, when you know, start even from that place onwards, there is a fiber design, and uh, you know, you, uh, how do you correlate all of that? How much uh, trench has been done, and we're involved in some micro trenching projects, you know, and then uh, and uh, how do you track how much of that has been trenched, and how do you correlate that with fiber that's being pulled through that, right? So I'd say the, I mean, if I can take that uh, question, Sean. In terms of uh, lowest hanging fruit, start with uh, all the asset tracking, right? Just where all the um, uh, splice locations are and where your FAPs are and all those uh, pictures that need to be collected. Uh, don't just take pictures uh, on your phone and put it somewhere and forget about it. Make it in a way that, like I said, and Gary also said with the pool guys, the, the data cannot be siloed for you to be efficient, right? So everybody needs to see the data and uh, make sure that you know you're able to use use some program that is able to collect all of this data and push it to the cloud in a way that you can access it anytime you want and it's a lot more intelligent about it yeah to me it was a surprise like the general contractor was surprised like oh the, the steel's finished oh i better schedule you know the gunite guys oh the gunite's finished i need you know and you none of these guys are available right so you lose weeks and weeks and weeks um, so one of the questions that came in is, you know, how much accuracy does GPS bring in for asset marking in square meters? Yeah, so on the uh, uh, so on the outside, uh, you'll be able to get to sub three meter accuracy on the outside plan, right? Indoors it doesn't, but so what you can do is, uh, by the way, just uh, from an experience perspective, prior to this company, the company I co-founded, uh, NextNav, deals with indoor location a lot. Right. So indoors GPS does not work. So you're better off using uh, a flow plan that's loaded and then marking the location. And you know tools uh, allow you to do those kinds of things. EC site also, for example, allows you to uh, upload a flow plan and mark saying this is where the IDF is and this is where my splice location is. Right. But outdoors GPS is you know, fairly accurate to within three meters. It's on the phone. On the phone. Yeah. Another another question from audiences. Can you explain or expand on how automation and AI is used to reduce errors in the field? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, that's a great question to, to lead the, me, me to speak about AI in, in general, right? Now, um, so so let's say that the, the main, uh, the crux of the problem that we solve is if you're doing an OTDR test and you use a Fluke gear or X4 and Nritsu, you know, there's a test plan that gets loaded, whether you're doing bi-directional testing, 1510, 
1510, you know, single mode fiber, the backscatter coefficients, launch cable, tail cables. So all of that needs to be set up on the instrument and you run it. And, uh, you know, it gives you some, uh, sometimes it gives you some events and you have to do all of those checking uh, in the field and, uh, and you rely on the instrument to give you a pass fail. But the instrument is only capable of certain things, right? The software on the instrument is not intelligent enough uh, to look at the context, the environment. So let's say that you're looking for um, a 25-kilometer run with uh, splice points in between. But imagine if you had the splice locations uh, already GPS tagged, and then you, you have the index of refraction of the, of the fiber already programmed into the software, and you have the splice locations, um, you have the helix factor, so all of that is, or you already know about it, then you apply all of that logic to figure out where the events for your splices should be, right? And if they're off, if they're wrong, if you see too much reflections, so you'll be able to uh, really get down to that level and, and, uh, and, and recognize what's going on. And over time, you know, they say that, you know, it's stop writing logic, use AI for everything, so you can start to do some pattern recognitions on this and say, how, how does this work? And that's, those are some of the techniques we employ. We also use AI to recognize objects in the field, uh, even pictures that you take, right? Some people want non-blurred pictures, but people are in a hurry. Uh, but AI is useful to tell you what kind of object you're taking a picture of. If you're if you're supposed to take a picture of a splice enclosure, are you taking a, the right picture of a splice enclosure? There's some AR and VR overlays that you could have on top of your pictures to say that you're taking the right pictures. So there's, I mean, the technology is evolving to actually use a smartphone. Uh, I mean, today the smartphone is not just a phone, but you, know, you use it for many different things. And there are some AI processes that you can take advantage of. And um, that's what the software is doing today to take uh, to make the phone a lot more effective tool uh, in the field. So the question that comes in is, is this who's using this? Is this construction contractor or the utility service provider? At, at, at this point, I mean, I would say on the pyramid scheme, you know, everybody is uh, is a customer. Uh, but today, on the on the wireless side, we see that uh, uh, the uh, the integrators are using it, the construction contractors are using it, um, the um, TPOs are using it, like the Crown Castles of the world are using it. On the OSP side, we see a lot of construction contractors using it today. And I love this question. So I'm a big blockchain fan, but it says, is blockchain technology being used uh, much in this realm? Is it would seem like it'd be advantageous, for example, to even have the basics like daily punch lifts to be openly transparent to all contractors, mm -hmm. but not editable once the update's made? That's right. Sure. Sean, you want to take that uh, question, Sean? Well, it's the uh, absolutely, Gary. We actually we actually see kind of the the block the blockchain concept is as very much being being core to this, right? It's and uh, you know, both both from you know, the encryption that comes along with it, and 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 as you said, kind of you're you're, you're kind of locking down that that data because it's it, when you think about the data integrity, the, the things that make data data integrity challenging is one, did you capture it correctly? Right, and the second one is was it was it actually manipulated after the fact, right? And so uh, so kind of um, the blockchain concept ends up being kind of key. It really lets you track. You know, if you think about it, we have the opportunity here um, to start to put together everything from from um, let literally the manufacturing test results, right? You can start to to track kind of create a blockchain for the overall network that starts with the products that are coming from your vendors. Because that becomes part of the automation, and then and that as that gets received by 
by the uh, by the construction crews. All right, now now you've accepted it, and you, you start to kind of take these different pieces that are these digital fingerprints of the of the piece parts and building it into a network fingerprint, right? And then you put into that all of the the splice information, the GPS location, the test data, and you actually end up with this this complete view of of your as built network. Right. And uh, and um, and we actually see blockchain and the blockchain kind of concepts as, as really being core to that. Yeah, actually, great. just to appreciate yeah, uh, it, guys. Yeah, this is great stuff. And uh, really, you know, Sabu, John, thanks for sharing your your knowledge and expertise on this. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, using blockchain for authenticating fiber and all good things. So uh, thanks for joining us. And hey, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, next Wednesday, we're going to be discussing Montana Takes Strides to Expand Broadband Access with our really great friend, Chad Root, uh, from the Montana State Broadband Office and the former RUS Administrator. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll look forward to seeing you guys back next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>